So we've been looking at, as you know, we've been looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. We're going to continue that today uh, with a focus really on uh, verse 6. Um, but before I read that, uh, the, the text, let me uh, pray, uh, and then we'll uh, dive in this morning. Father, we thank you today that you are in the business of making the dead alive, of softening that which is hard, and uh, uh, making uh, your spirit uh, live within us. Lord, uh, we confess uh, our weakness, our deadness, our coldness, and our hardness. And so I pray today by the power of uh, the gospel, the word of the work of Jesus Christ, and the uh, spirit of God, that we would be changed, that you would continue, begin that work in some of us, and continue that work in others. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So John 3, verses 1 to 10, that text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's Word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to them, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So... Um, I uh, inherited uh, some uh, terrible genes from my parents, um, really, really terrible. Um, I uh, have super high cholesterol because uh, my mom uh, did, and it doesn't really matter what I eat or anything like that, how much I exercise. When, when I was running marathons, my cholesterol was just as bad as it was when I was uh, living on hot dogs, which I did for a year in seminary, uh, and not the chicken ones or the veggie ones, the nastiest, cheapest ones, full of red dye. You know you're in trouble when you boil that hot dog and the water's red uh, when you're done, right? So, um, in fact, my mom's cholesterol, the first time she ever got it checked, uh, she was in her 50s, it was so high the doctor wouldn't tell her what it was because it was so high he thought it might actually cause her to have a heart attack. And so it was well above 400. I don't know how that's possible. I think she had more fat and cholesterol in her blood than she had blood. But um, So I take a statin every day. Uh, and have for 11 years. Uh, and so as a result of that, you have, to go get your, uh, you have to go get a blood test every six months, right? So uh, 
which is, you know, used to scare me, like, what am I going to do, you know, but I've done it so many times now, I don't, you know, not that the taking the blood doesn't scare me, I don't care about that, but, you know, the next day when the little thing dings on your phone, you have results, right? And so I've been rolling along with this, not thinking a whole lot about it, and uh, this uh, uh, past November, I always get my cholesterol checked on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. (laughs) There's a reason for that. Um, And so, uh, you know, I got my numbers back. They were okay, but... Uh, my brother, Michael Chen, said, you know, he, I'm a performance guy, and uh, I'm like, you know, I can do better. I don't know how I can do better, but I think I can do better. So I noodled on that for a number of days and weeks and even months because I thought, well, I already run on average, you know, 30 miles a week. Let me change that. I jog 30 miles a week. So I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't really do any more than that. I'm not going to do any more than that. So what could I do? Well, I could, you know, maybe change my diet. That's not hard. But, uh, oh, you know, what you could do is you could lose some weight. No, definitely not. Not going to do that. And so it took me a few months to decide to do that. So by the time February rolled around, November to February, I had decided, you know, I need to do something about this. And so since February, I've lost 30 pounds. Didn't know I had that much weight to lose. It's kind of embarrassing, frankly. Uh, but uh, my numbers are better. Uh, and a number of people have come up to me and said things like, wow, you look great, you've lost so much weight, and that kind of stuff. God bless you, may your tribe increase. Uh, but uh, uh, one of the things that a few people have said to me that I think is hilarious is, uh, it's the new you. Right? Nah, it's a thinner me. Uh, But it's the same guy who still every day has to think before he sits down to eat, I will only eat this much and not a bit more. And I'm, you know, if I go to bed at night and I'm still a little bit hungry, it's a good day. Right? That's just me. That's not a prescription. It's not in the law of God. You don't, you know, that's that's just how it works for me. Um. So, the, but the, the, the truth of the matter is, uh, sometimes we think, uh, when we talk about the new birth, that that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you just need some better habits. We'll satisfy ourselves with that, right? I mean, I, I, know, I know plenty of people who live terrible lives, and we might satisfy ourselves to be able to live with them if you just change some habits, like pick up your underwear or... You know, uh, uh, don't do this anymore or stop doing that and that everything would get better. And there's certainly things we should do that would be better than the things we do. So there are some things we should stop doing and some things we should start doing. But that's not a new life. That's not rebirth. 
right? What we're talking about here, what Jesus is talking about is taking that actually which is dead, those of us who are dead, and making us alive by his spirit through his atoning work and the work of the good news of Jesus Christ in us. So it's not just a new way of thinking and living, but a new, a new us, right? The real us, as, G, as Jesus says here in John chapter 3, verse 6, cleansed of sin and guilt, fully forgiven, with a new set of eyes, a new heart and mind, and a new nature. That's what happens to us. Now, now let's be clear about that. It's not as if... Uh, uh, one day you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and the next day you are uh, Mother Teresa, right? It's not, it's, it's not that. But what it is, is that as God does this work of taking that which is dead and making it newly alive, we do change. We are reoriented. And uh, uh, our uh, heart is replaced, our eyes are replaced, our ears are replaced, uh, uh, our affections are replaced, and actually even uh, our outer person is cleansed, right? And so as we look at that this morning, I, that's, what I, that's what I want us to, to, to think a little bit about, and we're going to make some, some very clear and pointed applications of this, but this is the thing that we have to see about this is, is that it's not a new religion, it's not a new diet, it's not a, a new... Uh, th those sorts of things. It's a complete changeover, a complete change from death to life, right? That's what, this, that's what the new birth is. Next slide. So what does it mean then when Jesus says here that we must be born of water and the Spirit or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So again, let's be very clear about that. Jesus is unequivocal when he says this, that if this does not happen to you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's very clear about that. So this, it's important for us then to understand what does it mean to be born of the Spirit and uh, to uh, be born of water. What does that mean? How do I get that? Because it must, it's, it's, it's clearly something that's key. It's something that's essential. That you can't do it without it. So the, the reality is, uh, as, as, we, as we think about this and as we have these words that float around in our head, like born again and that sort of stuff, I want to reiterate, you know, being born again has nothing to do with politics or culture or society or anything like that. It has everything to do with the Spirit of God and His work uh, in us. But Jesus says something here to Nicodemus that might catch us a little off guard. When he says here, not only that you have to be born again, but he says that which is born, uh, he says, the, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? Uh, I think we, we talked a bit last week about the Spirit, but what does he mean when he's talking about water? Well, some people have interpreted that to mean that's baptism is what he's getting at. I don't really think that's what he's getting at. I think what Jesus is doing when he says this is he is referring to a text from Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, Ezekiel 36 is written to people who are in trouble, people who have been scattered, people who have lived for generations with the consequences of their sin, who have lived uh, uh, separated from their country, they've been put into exile, they're in trouble. Uh, and they have experienced... Uh, the uh, consequences of their sin over a long period of time. 
And so uh, Ezekiel looks, you remember he's the one that has the great vision of the dry bones coming together in the desert. We also prophesies to the people about what Jesus is doing and the thing that Jesus actually accomplishes for, uh, for them and for us. What he says is, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Well, so let's stop right there because one of the things that you have to see about the new birth is it's not just a switch of life, but that, the, that you must be cleansed. So that must mean, if you must be cleansed, that must mean you have something on you which needs to be cleaned up, right? Something about you, something that is true of you that must be removed, just like you wash your hands or you wash yourself or whatever. And so what does he mean when he says this? What's he talking about? Well, what Jesus is getting at here is that what he does when he makes us born again is it's not just that he gives us a new life. He does that. But he takes all of those things that are true about us that are broken and that are in the, the spiritually unclean and he removes them from us. And not only does he remove them from us, but he removes their effects from us. Shame, guilt, spiritual death. Now, uh, you know, this is one of the things that, you have to, that we have to grapple with. You know, as we've heard these testimonies from people, one of the things that is remarkable to me about the, the testimonies is people's willingness to stand up in front of you and tell you about their weakness, to tell you about their sin, to tell you about how they were and they experienced and they had uncleanness, things that violated the truth of God's word, things that violated their own consciences, things that worship or giving themselves over to idols, as, as Ezekiel says here, good things in our lives that we make ultimate things. We have to, be, we have, to have that washed away from us. And that's what Jesus does in his sacrifice for us. And the Spirit of God takes that cleanness and puts it on us. There's a great story in the book Zechariah where Joshua, uh, the high priest, is standing in the Holy of Holies. You know, that crazy place there in front of the, um, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, right? And where, where uh, and you know what happens at the Ark of the Covenant, you know, if you're not careful, your face melts like jello. Remember that, you know, from, um, from right? It, you know, one of the greatest special effects things ever, right? I mean, you don't want to mess around with that. That's stuff that you got to take, you, you got to take very seriously. Well, uh, you know, he is, uh, the vision that Zechariah has is the high priest in his priestly garments, which are supposed to be pure and clean, are filthy. And God comes and takes that away from him. You see, the thing that we tend to think about this is, is that, that we, we might be able to detect a few spots. But Jesus sees, God sees the spots that go all the way through us. And by his spirit applying to us the work of Christ, 
those things get removed. They get cleaned and they get put away from us. Um, one of the things that I, uh, uh, one of the things I experience regularly is uh, spots on my shirts. Um, in fact, uh, when I come home at the end of the day and we're getting ready for dinner, I have to, I have eating shirts as opposed to, as opposed to other shirts. I know that's terrible, right? Because I eat and I'm like, that was such a great meal. And then I look down and I'm like, what? How did that happen? How did, I, how, how did this happen to me? It happened to me this morning. I was getting ready to stand up and preach at the nine o'clock service. And I'm like, there's a white spot on my shirt. It looks like toothpaste. It can't be toothpaste. I didn't have this on when I brushed my teeth. So it must be coffee creamer. Hopefully it comes out, right? So, so uh, the, the, the fact is we have these things that cling to us. The cleanest, most together, best, uh, uh, the people with the best habits, Jesus sees the stain of your sin. And he cleanses you of that, right? So not only does he, shall we be clean from all our uncleanness and from all our idols, he also says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. You see what you have to see about this is, so not only does, does God clean us up, but he takes from us the heart of stone and he gives to us a heart of flesh, right? And he puts his spirit within us so that we can now hear the law of God, hear the word of God, and our heart now, rather than rejecting that, is quick to receive and is soft towards the work of God in us. And that's that is, and, and, and as we'll see in a couple of weeks, that we enter not only into a new life of obedience, a new life of taking God seriously, we also enter into a new community, right? Where we enter into the land, we live together with the people of God, and uh, he, you know, we are his and he is ours. That's what we're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But what I want you to see now, what I want you to understand is how you need a heart that's soft, you see, what he sees about us is, and what is true of us is, is that we have a hard heart, a dead heart, a heart that doesn't beat, a heart that's hard as a rock, so that the very work of God, the very love of God comes to us. And unless God comes and changes that and takes that away from us, we will be hard-hearted. Uh, we, our hearts harden against the very prompting and the very work of God. And so what God has to do is he has to take that stony heart that's in there, take it out and put a new one in us. We've, we've been watching this terrible show uh, on, on Amazon about a really reprobate heart doctor. I hope, I hope if anybody ever operates on my heart, I hope they're not like this guy because he drinks too much and he does too many terrible things. But one of the things that's fascinating about it is, is they have these great shots of open, real open heart surgery. 
You know, he's got this guy's heart opened up here and there's this heart and they're flopping around, you know, doing things and they're operating on it while it's there. And you're like, look at that thing. It's moving. It's soft. It's alive, right? A hard heart, a stony heart, is hard. It's dead. And so God has to take that out of us to give us a heart that is soft, a heart that is responsive, a heart that is open to and quick to line itself up with the Spirit of God. Next slide, please, Cody. And so one of the things that I think we have to see about that is, uh, is, is the issue for you and I to detect how we are doing or whether we have this new heart and this new life is a diagnostic that you could ask yourself is, are you hard or are you soft? Right? Now, and that's particularly important given our particular cultural, religious moment. Right? Because we're attracted to hardness. Many of us are. We like that. You know, we like, we like hard things, you know, and that feels like life to us. But what Jesus says here, what, what he's getting at is, is the new heart that we need is actually soft. Soft towards God. Soft towards his word. Soft towards the prompting of his spirit. That is, that it is quick to love, quick to forgive, quick to repent, quick to hear and to see the work of God and to take joy and delight in that and to embrace the mercy and the love of God in us and in others. Hardness seems like the pathway of safety. Hardness seems like the pathway of truth. When in fact, the heart that God gives us is a heart that is soft, that he molds, that he moves, and yes, that he sometimes breaks. Uh, Marty and I were... uh, uh, you know, driving back from the grocery store yesterday, and we're, <clears throat> she and I are having a, a, an argument about how I told her she was praying wrongly about something. Uh, don't you guys have those kind of conversations, you know, regularly? I'm like, I don't like the way you're praying about that. Why do you not like the way I'm praying about that? Well, you're making the Holy Spirit sound like magic. Now, just say that sometime, right? So, uh, And she's like, I'm not thinking that the Holy Spirit is magic, you know, and we're going back and forth and, you know, having a great time about that. And and as we talked about that, I became convicted because what I realized was not not because I told her she was wrong about the way she was praying, but I became convicted because the folks we were talking about is I realized I'm hardened against them. They've sinned against us, against me against others, and uh, 
I'm sick of it, I'm tired of it, and I'm just going to be hard towards them. And that felt good. That felt like, well, this is a good place to be, right? You know, I'm like, I have, I have hardened myself against the possibility that God could actually change them, but I've also hardened myself against them. And so what I realized about that is, you know, there's some residual old hard-heartedness in here that when uh, it, uh, am I quick to forgive? Am I quick to long for restoration? Am I quick to long for reconciliation? Am I quick to long for the glory of God to be demonstrated in, uh, in loving my enemies? Right? And so, so one of the things that I realize about that, and one of the things that, one of the markers that we should look for to be able to ascertain the work of God in giving us a new life and a new heart would be our softness towards the work of God, the word of God, and the people of God. And so I think it's a, it's a great thing for us to, to lean into this because the, the fact is we have the very promise that God says to us that by giving us his spirit and by giving us a heart of flesh, we can have the expectation that those of us who struggle with our hard-heartedness and our closed-off heartedness towards God and towards others, that by virtue of the Spirit of God, He is taking us and He is molding us like clay more and more into His image and softening us up more and more towards His work and His people. You know, it is it, one of the things that is, is so... Uh, true of us is we would be we're much quicker to react in anger and defensiveness towards our enemies than we are to grief and uh, to, to react to them with grief and softness the heart that God has given us towards those uh, towards our enemies or much less towards the work of God, or much less towards God's uh, imperative to us to be quick to forgive. And so I, you know, as I think about this, and as I, uh, 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 as we come to the table today, and as we cry out to God to make us soft, one of the things that we uh, recognize about what happens to us when we come to the table is, we eat the bread and we drink the cup. And these are the things that God uses to nourish us and to change us and to renew us more and more into these people who look like Jesus, who look like people who are soft towards God, soft towards the gospel, the grace of God, and soft towards other sinners, right? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, 
And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's confess our sins together. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that in our thoughts, words, and deeds, we have sinned and grieved your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Rather than be led by you, we have followed the spirit of our age into self-reliance and self-worship. You created us for fellowship with yourself and one another, but we rebelled and made enemies of our maker and each other. We have acted as if the cross of Christ had no power to reconcile us to God. We have lived as if there was no spirit of God convicting, sanctifying, encouraging, and helping us. Forgive us, good Lord, and give us grace that we might eagerly forsake our self-directed paths and keep in step with your spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, uh, just as I do now, ministering in, his, uh, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. Here's, here's the thing for us today. Um, uh, the, the truth of the matter is... Uh, uh, we have the promise of God that the Spirit of God lives in every one of us. And so we should have hope today that the, that the new life that we have in Jesus Christ will manifest itself more and more. That the new heart that is beating in our spiritual chest will press life more and more uh, into our life so that we can be quick to repent, quick to be convicted of our sins, and even quicker to embrace the comfort of the gospel. When you hear these words like a new heart, new birth, the spirit, it may be tempted, you may be tempted to think, I can't see that. I can't touch that. I don't, I don't have the scar on my chest where God opened me up and put 
uh, a new heart in here. How do I know this? Part of the reason why God gives us this table and this cup is so that you can hold and eat and taste and smell by your, all of your senses something that is tangible to say to you that the work of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the heart of flesh, those things are real. Just as this bread is real, just as this cup has reality that you can hold in your hand and smell and taste, even more real is the Spirit of God in you. Even more real is the new heart that he's given you. And even more real is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ cleansing you from all your spots. That's what we proclaim by our actions when we eat this bread and drink the cup. If you are entrusting yourself to be cleansed, to be made new, and to be made soft today, by the work of Jesus Christ, and you have proclaimed his atoning sacrifice as your only hope to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you today to taste and see his goodness and to be embraced again uh, in his loving arms to know and to uh, uh, experience his life-giving mercy and grace. Uh, as the elders come down front to assist me this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. Uh, the inner rings are grape juice. Underneath each cup uh, is a tiny uh, gluten-free wafer. Uh, 